This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. This is the free breakfast of Free FM 89.02. Thanks for joining us. It's coming up to 10 past nine. Right now, I want to turn your attention to the End of Life Choice Act and the subject of the referendum that's happening with the election this year. Joining me in the studio are Jack Haverill and Jan Gilby. Uh, Jan is a registered nurse and chair of the local branch of the End of Life Choice Society. Jack is a retired intensive care medical specialist with the WDHB and also past president of the End of Life Choice Society. Thank you both for joining us this morning. Um, I want to talk about the um, mainly the misinformation and the scaremongering that's happening at the moment because there have been media appearances, um, book launches, public presentations, and even you may have heard interviews on Free FM that uh, purport to present a balanced discussion on the subject of the End of Life Choice Act uh, in this year's referendum, when in fact it's been the complete complete opposite. They really have not um, presented a balanced view or a clear and dispassionate view at all. There's widespread campaigning going on at the moment, funded heavily by major organisations, and it's not too hard to identify what those organisations are, who are determined to deny other people the real choice and this interview is a, a direct response to that and I'm making no apology for bringing some openness and clarity to a situation that's been deliberately uh, obfuscated by others. Let's talk about the the um, act itself first and what it means. Um, Jack would you like to launch in on that first? Or? Uh, no, well the, um, the essence of the act is to allow patients approaching death with unrelievable suffering to request help to die with the help of a medical practitioner. And uh, there's a group of eligibility criteria which Jan could, uh, which came out in the pamphlet, of course, which distributed and uh, from the government. And uh, Jan could read them out, probably, just briefly. Yeah, just okay. give us the nutshell. Okay, so in a nutshell, to be eligible for a medically assisted dying, you need to be 18 or over. You also need to be a New Zealand citizen or a permanent resident. You need to be suffering from a terminal illness that is likely to end your life within six months. The person must be in an advanced state of irreversible decline or physical capability, in physical capability. And if the person is suffering, they must be suffering unbearable or experiencing unbearable suffering that cannot be relieved in a manner considered tolerable to them. And the person must also be competent to make the decision mm. and the choice to consent to that medically assisted dying. All of those things seem, on the face of it, I guess, to opponents of the bill, uh, th- they seem to be subjective and difficult to quantify. And is that where the problem lies with this, do you think? I think, um, I, I mean, in the Act, there's a, a very involved process that um, the two doctors have to go through and, um, and, and, and there's no way that a person could, uh, who's at the end of their life and, and wondering about having assisted dying could mistake the, in, the intent or the, or the, um, the process. I mean, 
the doctor has to go through all sorts of um, look at all sorts of detail, explain to the patient what it's all about, and um, encourage them to talk to their relatives, encourage them to um, counsellors, um, and um, and eventually after the, and after all the process they go through, they explain all the alternatives that they, they, you know, they need and have assisted dying, you could do this and you could do that, and all that's required by the doctor involved. And that's stipulated in the Act? Mm. Okay. That's in the Act, written yep. down. Yep. Mm. And uh, once those options are explored, the, uh, the option as a result of all of that to either take advantage or not of the assisted dying process would be then presented to the patient. Well, if the patient um, if the if the patient is eligible with all the things you've talked about, and they've got to be all those criteria all at once, they're not just each one, um, and they can't. Ex- if a person's just disabled or just mentally ill, or um, just old, very old, uh, they're not eligible unless they've got a terminal illness, which is which is likely to kill them within six months. So the important thing is that all those boxes are checked. checked. Yep, yep. They've, they've all got to be checked, and uh, the doctor writes it all out. And they're going to have a proscribed form, which probably hasn't been developed yet, but it's going to be developed in the next twelve months after yep. the act's passed. But um, and um, and then if the patient still wants to do it they've got a sign in front of the doctor mm. okay and how is that then checked is there another another yeah, medical process two that, the that, two doctors mm, involved yeah, aren't two there? so two doctors, doctors have to agree and have to sign off on the, on the whole process mm. yeah. got to be a totally independent doctor and they get the doctor from sins and known that the doctor's not known to the patient or the doctor uh, um, they might doctor might know about them but they're not a they can't walk across the corridor to a buddy and and say, "Oh, would you put your signature on this?" Yeah. And um, what's more, that um, uh, one of the things that um, one of the things that people talk about her opponents they talk about uh, lacking coercion. Lacking. There's only one doctor who's got to check for coercion. Well, to be uh, ob- to, to to be um, for the to be eligible. Um, they've got to have lack of co- coercion. So the second doctor has to look at that as well. Right, so they look beyond the medical requirements, they look at um, what's happening within the um, the patient's life, yep. the people around them, they be, be yeah. sure that there's no coercion, that the, yeah. uh, the decision is made competently and coherently by the patient and they know exactly what they're in for. Yep, absolutely. So in, in this act too, Doctors, say your family doctor or your oncologist, say, is not allowed to suggest this as an option. It has to be requested by, by the patient. By the patient, which is unlike some other countries where, um, for example, in Canada, they see offering end-of-life choice or medically assisted dying as a therapeutic option. So if you're, you know, terminally ill... Um, and you're only being offered radiotherapy, chemotherapy, and you're going, I don't want either of those things, but I don't want blah, blah, blah. The doctor, your specialist, could say, look, this is another option. And for a lot of people, that gives them a great sense of relief. 
that they have a choice. They can reach a point where it has become too much, but they could have already had the discussion. Whereas in this country, currently, <laughs> where doctors are not allowed to right. initiate the conversation. Another important aspect of this is that the patient is in control the whole time Correct. and at any point can say, actually, no, I've changed my mind. Correct. I don't want to follow this, and then it all, it's all up. Then you can start. The, for some people, it may not be as bad as they thought it was going to be. Exactly, yeah. So they can defer it. So the biggest, uh, the biggest thing that pro- uh, oppo- opponents of this act seem to come up with all the time is that they feel like people are going to be made to choose this and that they're going to be uh, given no options other than to agree with family members that it's time for them to go. And that's often the kind of language that they use to try to simplify things and say, well, you know, uh, you don't want your grandchildren telling you, no, it's time you you left now. Um, None of that is really relevant to, to the actual wording of the Act itself, is it? No. Not really. No, um, it's the great emphasis is put on um, the independence and the mental capacity of the person acting, uh, asking for the, uh, for the for so uh, people talk about um, doctors can't. Um, um, they try to say that doctors can't uh, make a judgment of mental capacity. Well, well. They do it all the time in normal medicine, and um, and uh, the um, basically all they've got to do is find out whether the patient knows what's about, and whether they uh, whether they're being uh, yeah that's right understand it and can rem- remember it. It's important also to uh, check for things like depression being a factor in the in the patient asking for. Well, um, um, purely being depressed doesn't. But if a patient, um, if a patient has severe terminal illness with a lot of suffering, remember that this is one of the criteria of eligibility is that they are suffering really badly and they can't be this pain or other suffering can't be relieved. Um, uh, the um, Oh, what was your question again? Depression. They're likely to be depressed. Yeah, yeah they're uh, likely to they're have likely some degree to have of depression. Some depression. I have heard a question from a, a, yeah. um, somebody I know who said, "But well, what if my nineteen-year-old uh, child um, is going through a terminal illness and is just heavily depressed and feels like there's no hope anymore? Can they arbitrarily go ahead without parents' consent or without um, any involvement of family and uh, as an adult and just say, look, I want to do this?' Is that are there checks and balances in, I, the pl- well, in place of the, the assessment the doc- of the patient? Doctors will look at that very carefully, and if there's uh, any um, any problem with mental capacity or doubts about it, they are obliged to refer it to a, a psychiatrist, who they will get it from uh, uh, get them from the, what they call a sins body, a right. central government body, and they can check it out. So uh, that's another thing of mental capacity. But basically it depends on whether the depression has altered the ability of the person to make a decision and understand what's going on because a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of people at the end of their stage, end stage of life will have some depression. Um, but, I mean, you've got to, got to remember that the patient's dying anyway, all right? So the, you know, this person who's 
they're talking of the last, you know, the, say 19-year-old, and they got some depression, but are they likely to die down in a few weeks' time? Um, the question is whether the whether the patient understands uh, what they're doing. Now, I, but if the depression's too bad and they don't, then they won't be accepted. Right. So it's all and part of the checks well and balances. And they may well commit suicide instead. Uh, no, really. yeah, they'll probably go away. <laughs> yeah. well, so there's that argument as well, isn't there? Mm-hmm. And that's true, but I, what I wanted to do is keep this uh, really just sort of down to uh, what the checks and balances oh, right, are in sure, okay. place, because yeah. this seems to be the area of the greatest concern, that there may be undue influence or there may be coercion, and there's, those are the things, um, you know, if people do the research properly and read the information that's available, they'll find mm. out that these checks and balances are, in fact, mm. um, enshrined within the Act right. and so, very but, clearly yeah. spelled out. I could say about coercion, there hasn't been one study that's shown coercion as a factor with a sister dying. Another important thing to understand about all this is that based on overseas experiences as well, and I know, as you said, Jan, that there are differences in the way that the Act is structured in New Zealand, but when the option is presented to a patient, almost two-thirds of the time... Uh, it's not taken up. It's, it's something they don't go through with. It's just a, a comfort and often just nice to know that the option is there. Absolutely. Mm. 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 If people are concerned about what they're hearing about this act and what their decisions are going to be for the uh, referendum when it happens, where should they be looking for the best information and the most accurate and correct information on this? Well, there's a, a website called Yes for Compassion. Yeah, and it's got a. Uh, it's very very All pro. Right, if if I'm a swinging voter and I'm not sure whether I want to support the act or not, mm. am I going to go to something that clearly has a yes uh, involved in, in its name? Is it better to go to government sources for the wording of the act and oh, things I like see. that? Yes, no, I'd go to the government. Yeah, so, so yeah. the that's on yeah the referendum totally, leaflet yeah. that came that everybody's. Got which is from the government. Yep. They should have seen came with the voting papers, and obviously you could read the act yourself but, through the Ministry mm. of Justice. I think it's. But right. what I'm yeah. saying is that there's a lot of negative misinformation out there from different bodies. Vote safe, defend uh, uh, defend New Zealand, and other things like that. Uh, euthanasia free, and uh, if they want the other side of it, they can go to Yes for Compassion. And that has a lot of very important people on it, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 uh, who they can trust. Yeah. Okay. Times against us, and I, I wish we could talk for longer and explore a bit more of this. And maybe you know there will be time to do that before the refer- referendum itself. The important thing is that, it, as you said at the start, Janet, is a binding referendum. Fifty percent or more of the vote, and twelve months later, uh, it will become a reality in this country. So it's an important question and one that we need to think about a lot. But thank you both for joining me this morning, Jan Gilby and Jack Haverell, um, for uh, coming into the studio. I'm sure it's not the last we're going to see of you two, uh, because we, we, our, our job here is to make sure that people think critically and that they, uh, they understand what the facts are in front of them rather than just supposition. So thank you for your time this morning. Thank, thank you. you very Thanks. much. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.